0: Christmas is always, I I guess, um, you run into a a new challenge um, teaching on the holidays and coming up to the holidays of where do you teach? Do we continue on? Do we teach the Christmas story? And um, so praying about it and um, really going to look at, we're going to continue on, so there goes the shock and the surprise. But um, we're going to continue on, so we will be back in Luke. We'll, we're going to be going through Luke chapter nine, starting in verse twenty-eight, where we let off or stopped last week, and continuing through. But it is um, it is interesting. Some things I, I always um, I don't know. I kind of like laughing, if you would, at our our culture and some things. And um, there are always some fun. I don't know, you know, you you see other cultures and you laugh at things they do, or it just doesn't make sense and stuff and One of the things we do um, culturally on on Facebook is you'll see these pictures that you would never get away with posting any other time. You know, you have a lady who's given birth, who's you know, been in labor for twenty hours plus, who who looks like she just got out of an arena, no makeup on, sitting there, and they'll post that picture with the baby there, who's also just probably gone through one of the most traumatic things. In their life, and they will post that picture on Facebook and stuff. It's like, that's probably the only time you could ever catch your wife without her makeup on in a picture and be able to put it on Facebook and not move out later. You know, and and you look at it, it's kind of funny, and as we we look at the Christmas season and stuff and and the birth of Christ, and and we look at those things, and we've so sanitized it and, and, you know... um, you know, sing songs, and and the songs go back hundreds of years, so, you know, it's not just our culture, but Silent Night. Any of you that were there at your children's birth, there was nothing silent about that night, you know, especially having your wife in a manger. I mean, accommodations weren't good, you know. um, Forget hospital food and the other problems you could have had, you know. It just... It's amazing to see how we kind of put this picture around it, and and I just kind of, I always kind of get a kick out of it, and not that I'm here to ruin Christmas for you, but I am. I mean, if that's your Christmas tradition and stuff, maybe you need to slow down and go, okay, what is it really about? And as we go through the scripture, we're going to be kind of looking at um, three people, uh, mainly two men of faith and the faith, if you would, and Kind of to see this. I mean, as we've been going through Luke, we looked at last week, Jesus said, Fed the 5,000. He, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Who do you, you know, who do they say and who do you say that I am? It's kind of interesting, you know, they brought up Elisha, Moses maybe coming back or one of the prophets of old, and that's kind of interesting with the text we are coming to here. And, um, It's interesting, though, when who do you say I am? Not who does your mother say that I am? Who do you think I am? Who does your culture say I am? Who personally do you say that I am? And then he announces to them when Peter gets it right, hey, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, but not the way you thought. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rose again in three days. And in all three Gospels, this account is given before the account we're going to go over, called or named, I guess you would, uh, popularly, the Mount of Transfiguration, and and it's interesting to see that this happens in all accounts. This is the next thing that happens, and and. If it's a grounding and, and the timing of it, it w- is definitely probably, you know, God has plans for those things, reassuring some things. And so, listen, verse uh, 28. Let's start here. It says, And now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, so this eight days have passed since he said this. I mean, it's got to be shocking. You think, okay, you're sitting there, you've been with Jesus the whole time, and now he tells you he's going to die and raise again in three days. If you're ever around anybody you care about for any length of time, and they come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to be dying. Well, that's not what we had planned. We were thinking you're going to be a king, and you're the Messiah, and you're going to rule and reign. And, And not only is our hopes dropped in who you are, and bringing salvation to the whole nation at that point we're confused on, now this person I care about is going to die. That, that should kind of weigh on you, should be somewhat heavy. And so Jesus, we knew, they went to withdraw to try to get away to a solitude place. That's why they went over. The 5,000 followed him out to this wilderness area, so they really didn't get alone time there. And so Jesus starts to head up a mountain. Um, we don't know what mountain origin said, you know, Mount uh, Tabron. Um, some say it's probably Mount Hermon, which which kind of has like three main peaks. and It's like Nine thousand feet high. The other one's only about four thousand. We're not exactly sure what mountain it is, but they they hike up this mountain and so they're as they're heading up there and they're going up to the this place. He brings, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and it's kind of people go, wow, you know, Peter, James, and John. Why are they in this situation? He's taking them. He he seems to pull them aside a lot, you know, and. Um, you know, people. You get into all the speculation. Well, it's because Peter really the church is based on him. And well, then you know, John was the last one to go. And but John, James was the first martyr. Why them? And it could have been as simple as they were the troublemakers, the one that caused problems. Last guy we know of that went up to a mountain and prayed and got the Ten Commandments was Moses. And the two guy, he should have took some people with him instead of leaving them behind. You know, would have saved. You know. Some making some calves and taking the whole nation sideways. Maybe Jesus feared man. If I leave these guys, these three behind, they might start their own little cult and run off or something. I don't know. But it's very possible there was nothing real spiritual about them. Just they they needed to be there, they needed to hear it, they needed the reassurance on what was going on. And so he takes them up there to pray. And as he prayed, in verse 29, it says, as he prayed, his appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening or it's kind of a hard translation. You kind of dig into it and you find out there, there's really no clear description. It's like lightning. He, he became like lightning, this flash, you know, uh, Matthew, the accountant Matthew, he says his face shine like the sun. And so Jesus is transfigured here in this, this light and, um, just this glowing, and so they're there. We'll see here. They're sitting there. They they were asleep, which seems to be what they like to do when Jesus is praying um, consistently. And here, Jesus is transformed. He's changed, you know. And it, it's interesting. I, I like what what Dave here hears. So people go, "Oh, it's the miracle of of the the you know the transfiguration of Jesus changing." And actually, he would say, no, I would disagree. He goes, I would say it's the temporary stopping of that miracle of who Jesus really was. Instead of the continuing. It was a pause in the miracle that was happening. The miracle of who Jesus was. That he was able to come, that he was willing to come. Come and be born lowly. When you look at the Christmas story, it's very lowly. It's a disgraceful situation. He laid aside heaven and those things and Cain was born lowly, disgraceful, making his family an outcast by his entrance. You know, even possibly getting his mother killed. I know some of you are probably rurally children in here, but you did not risk, I don't think, risk the chance of your mother being killed by your birth intentionally, you know, and here God chooses to come in this way and he lays that aside and, and, and puts that veil of being fully man over who he is in this glory. That's the miracle of him laying aside heaven and coming down and becoming our sacrifice and our servant. And so he's there. And, and if you would, that miracle's lifted where his glory starts to shine. And in verse 30, he says, and behold, two men were talking with him who were Moses and Elijah and Elijah. And it's interesting, you know, the accounts as they sit here and you hear these two men, you know, and it talks about, I don't know if they had name tags on, I mean, how do they recognize? They're like sitting there and go, oh, that's Moses and Elijah. Is it just the fact when we get to heaven, we're going to recognize everybody? You're not going to need name-takers in heaven. You're welcome to heaven. You're going to get there. They're going to pull out a Sharpie and there. That way everybody knows who you were. You know, you know it's interesting. We don't know exactly why, but they know, hey, I recognize Moses and Elijah. You know, they don't, it's not like they're walking around with pictures, you know, and even if we did, all our pictures are most likely 100% wrong, you know. Sorry, if you have a, if you're looking for the picture of Jesus when you get to heaven, don't. You're like, hey, have you seen him? I'm looking for this guy still. You're gonna find out. It might be somebody else. Totally right. They said some guy, poor guy, sit down from the pulpit and everybody, everybody thinks I'm Jesus. Why? Well, they use my picture. I mean, it, it's interesting, but you sit there and so there's this kind of mystery there. But he goes, okay, we got Moses and we got Elijah, and, and as we look, I'm kind of curious to look at these two men. Out of all the men of the Old Testament, Abraham, David, and here on this mountain, Jesus is sitting there praying, and, and God brings Moses and Elijah there. And they're sitting, and, and Moses, definitely to the Jewish people, way more than us, especially before Jesus, what an awesome person of faith, what a man that God used, not without fault. But still amazing, a, a hero of Israel in many ways, saved them, God used him and and, and saved them from the Egyptian people somebody whose who's birth was was significant, who, who, who got placed, who got placed in a place of royalty and comfort who who rejected that for the call on his life for, the, for, for God's purposes, even though he he you know kind of. Put himself in the wilderness for forty years, doing things his own way, per se, and, and then out going and serving and leading these people in faith and seeking, and, and so this man's life and and going up and, and sitting before God and seeing God's glory many times, and that Shekinah glory and and bringing the law to the people, and Moses is known for that, the law, the Old Testament, and. And for us, the law, we don't like the law. We like the law of grace. We know the new covenant. But before this, that has to be an awesome thing. You want to know God. You want to serve God. You want to please God. And you now have the law. Now we have the ability to do that. But then at the same time, you come down and you realize there is no way we can accomplish this in our own strength. And so we have the law. We have Moses. And so you have his birth. And brought into royalty, you have this life of serving God and, and being a deliverer and, and bringing the law to the people. And then in death, you have this interesting story. He's there. He, 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 is, he has caused some things to where he cannot enter the promised land. He's sitting there. God shows him the promised land from where he's sitting. And, and it says God takes him up. He, he, he passed. It, it, it literally means his spirit was given. There isn't even a good description for that word in translation of what happened to Moses. And in the language we would say, and it appears that God himself buried Moses. And we don't, as it says in scripture, we have no clue where that is. We don't know where his grave lies. The funny thing is about that, since even back then, all the way back in the Old Testament, we're sitting there and they right away say, we have no clue where he's buried. I think that's kind of cool in one sense. I mean, could you imagine if they knew where he was buried? How many temples would be there and altars? Guess what? You can go to the temple of Moses over his grave. They built one. Supposedly, somehow they found it. <laughs> we don't know where it was back then, but now we have found it. I don't know how we found it. But you know, I mean, that's the way humans are. I mean, we, they, they put up altars and stuff. So they, they got this altar. They got the grave site. I mean, you, you can probably pay to look at The dead body of Moses, which probably is not Moses. I'm guessing if they didn't know where it was back then, they still don't know where it is now. But, you know, that's just me. But you look at it, so you have this. And then you have this account also, when you you look back in Scripture, of Satan arguing with Michael the archangel over Moses' body. Well, you know, it's, it's a situation. It's weird. It's like, okay, where is he buried? But Satan and them, they're fighting over it. Why are they fighting over it? And so we see this death. We see this interesting, if you would not death, but departure. And so we have that. And then we have Elijah in this, in this meeting, Prophet Elijah. And, and really, we don't know too much about him. We know he, he, he was uh, from Ter-Bi-Bish, It I can't pronounce that, uh, uh, of uh, Gali, uh, Gilead. And so he's from this area. We have that description, but he comes on the scene interrupter. We don't know about his childhood. We don't know about his upbringing. But the first time we see him in the Bible, he is there. The prophets of God are all being, hiding out, afraid of King Ahab. And this guy shows up, starts yelling out in the crowd, hey, you're forsaking God, and I'm going to, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. I mean, and, and they, they don't even really pay too much attention to this guy, Right? This guy's crazy. He's some crazy guy in the crowd. Says he's a prophet of God, and since we're worshiping Baal, boom, done. King Aga, uh, uh, Ahab, you know, took a wife from the, 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 the Moabites and the Canaanites, and, and was worshiping Baal. She was against the God of Israel, he, you know. So he's compromised because he's made this alliance and has this wife, and they're worshiping. And she orders, "Hey, let's kill all the prophets of God." So they're all out in hiding, and then he has. King I'm cruising through town. This crazy guy comes up to him and says, Hey, you've, first time probably in a long time, got some crazy guy in the crowd. Hey, you, you're worshiping Baal. Guess what? It's not going to rain for three and a half years. And they kind of laugh at him go down the way. They don't even bother killing him. They don't take him serious. like, uh, like that guy was a real prophet. He's a fraud. Yeah, right. And then it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Then it doesn't rain until he says so again. You know what they're doing after that? Six months go by, it's not raining. Uh-oh. Remember that crazy guy in the crowd? A couple more months go by, we need to go find that crazy crowd. Now they're out hunting for him. Can you, can you imagine, okay, when you were there, did you see what that guy looked like? What did that guy look like, that crazy guy? I want to know what he looked like, because we need to find him. It's not going to rain again until he says so. I mean, this, the amazingness, the boldness there. And as he's looking for him, he shows up Again. He shows up again and goes, Hey, I, I'm here, and I heard you're looking for me. How about we do a contest? We'll see whose who's God's really alive. Let's get the God of Baal. We'll get your Baal God over here. and We'll get my God over here. We'll set up some altars. And whatever God can light and burn his altar down, we'll go. And so get all your things. So they get 850 prophets of Baal all jumping around, doing their things, cutting themselves for all these hours. And nothing happens to their altar. Nothing burns. So Elijah being funny. He says, let's grab some jars of water and pour it on my altar before I start praying to God. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's not four enough. Let's grab four more jars just in case. Let's flood this thing. We're going to build a, like a little kiddie swimming pool around it. We're going to fill it with water, soaking down real good. And we'll pray to the God of Israel and we'll watch what happens. And of course, God responds. Altar burns up. Even the stones and the rocks melted. Super hot fire. And all 850 prophets of Baal because the people turning to God are wiped out. Ahab gets home. His wife ah, freaks out on him. Why'd you kill my this and this? And so goes after him. He goes into hiding. And, you know, God really him, Man, you've changed. You've done what you're supposed to do. The whole nation's heart. Don't worry about the king. The whole nation seeking after you. So God uses with these great signs, these great wonders, the prophecies and coming. And at the end of his life, He is taken up in a whirlwind. It's like two chariots splitting a fire and take him up. No body, no gravesite, gone. Another interesting departure. And so you have these two men there, one representing the law, really, and one representing the prophets and the signs and wonders. You know, the law pointing us to Christ, the lawgiver, the standard that says, hey, we are falling short, we need a Savior, that reveals our heart. And then the prophecy that promises that Savior, that Messiah that's coming, those signs and wonders that say, hey, yes, that God is alive, he is well, and you're going to be held accountable, and he's coming. So you have those two men there. And look with me in verse 31, it says, who appeared in glory, and they spoke of his, they spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. It's kind of a weird translation. They they spoke of his decease. They spoke of Jesus' plan to die. It wasn't man's plan, it was his. It's God's. This was laid out. Hey, Jesus is sitting here speaking with these two guys, the prophet, the law. This is how the law is gonna be fulfilled. This is how the prophecy is gonna go. And he's speaking to him of this and how he's going to have this happen to him. No how he is going to accomplish it. How he is going to do it. That heart of laying it down. You know, the willingness to go to the cross, to know beforehand what was coming. is an amazing thing. The Lamb of God. He came lowly. He was born lowly. He served his life as he served us. And then he leaves lowly on a cross. Somebody who was crucified on the cross, no matter if they were your mother, your father, you did not talk about it. You did not talk about them. If somebody was killed on a cross, as the Bible says, is that man is cursed. It was not something that you would put around your neck and wear proudly. It was Cursed! It was not a good situation. And so we see Jesus coming in lowly, leaving lowly, sitting there as he talks about it. And in verse 32, it says, But Peter and those who were with them were heavily with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now, again, they get there. Jesus starts praying. Peter's like, "This is I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to pick on him too much because I'd probably be sleeping too." But every situation is like Jesus is praying. We're going to sleep. Jesus is praying. We're going to sleep. And I know some of you guys have that gift of prayer, and and, and I have the gift of sleeping. I mean, I love some of you guys who get in prayer gifts, and and don't don't stop doing it. Please don't stop doing that. I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on me. But I have like a short attention span, I'll start falling asleep, I'll just, you know, and you're praying, it's like i got to really focus on what you're praying, to, you know, just, or I just get distracted, I'm, I'm horrible in those ways. I would, I would be sleeping in this situation, and, and so who knows, maybe he's praying for hours, and so they're asleep, and, you know, they again to awake, coming out of a heavy sleep, and when they're awake, they see his glory, and they see these two men who stood with him. Not floating in the clouds. They stood. They're sitting there on the ground, you know. And it's just amazing. I, you know, you know, it says they slept heavy. How do you come out of that situation, right? You're there, and, and you're probably used to Jesus praying. I'm sure this wasn't the first time they fell asleep. And, and you wake up, and you have this scene in front of you. Are you rubbing your eyes going, am I awake yet? I mean, are they looking at each other like, are we really seeing what we're seeing? I mean, I don't know about you guys. I cannot sleep with the light up at all. Like I, I like my blinds dark. I can't sleep in the day. I got to have it dark. If I, I don't know if I have thin eyelids or something. Even, even like my my computer charging light. If that little light's on, somehow it's like got a laser beam through my eye when I'm trying to sleep. Like it's got to be covered. I'll throw something over it. it. It's horrible. And and so I don't know how these guys are sleeping through it. and Then Jesus is glowing like this. Are they waking? up? Ah, lights in my eyes. I mean, it's an interesting scene to see. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like I, I, when we were kids, I was, we were, I don't know, probably 9 or 10, I think, first time going to Disneyland. And I remember being so excited the night before that I didn't sleep. So on the way there, I fall asleep. I don't know how many times I dreamed I got to Disneyland before I got to Disneyland. But when I did get to Disneyland and we're... Pulling in, parking, is like, hey, wake up, we're here. It's like, are we really here? Wow, you know, this has to be a hundred times better than that, right? You're you're sitting there, and you're waking up to this scene that is so out of this world, so extreme, and and just blown away by it, you know. And they're they're sitting there, they're seeing this, and and as Peter does when he doesn't know what to do, he starts to talk and say things he shouldn't say, you know. And at the same time, people pick on, oh, yeah, Peter's always known for, you know, saying this and this. I'm kind of of glad he does. What if he didn't, you know? We'll look here. I mean, God clarifies things based on what, what? Because Peter said something, you know? The other guys were probably thinking it. At least Peter said something, you know? Many times it's like, hey, what was that parable about? Praise God he said something. What if they didn't say something? We would have been sitting here still, you know, having years and years of theological debates over what this parable means because it wasn't explained. It's probably because Peter said, what the heck does that mean? You know. So appreciate Peter here for us, okay? And so in verse 33 it says, And when it happened, as they were departing from him, that Peter said, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. It's always a good thing when you're not knowing what you're saying, not to say something. And one day I'll learn that lesson. Now, you know... You sit there, you look at this, right? And, and tabernacles aren't temples. They're dwelling places. They're houses. Let's build a house for each of you here. You know, we're up on a mountain. That's always a good place to have a temple, right? And people got to come up here. It's high. It's pretty up here, you know. You know, got clean air, whatever, you know. And, and it's a good place to set up a house for you guys to come hang out, you know. this is. We'll just set one up for each of you. You know, this is a great place for your kingdom, right? We'll just build your kingdom here. You guys can have your houses here and we'll start the new kingdom. New Jerusalem is going to be sitting right here. You know, I don't You know, you know what he's thinking. I mean, he could just be saying, this is so amazing. Wait a minute. It's about over. Uh, I got to say something. I want to get in the meeting somehow. You know, they're talking and he throws in and, and it's interesting here though, because we have that count of what they were talking about. It's like, Peter, did you just miss what they were talking about? I, he, he didn't hear the, you know, you had it enough to be, have the account of, hey, we're, we're talking about how Jesus is going to depart, how he's, how he's leaving, how he's going to die, how this is going to happen, how he's going to accomplish these things. And Peter's like, hey, let's just build houses right here. We don't have to go nowhere, guys. This is good. You know, he might have been good if he said, hey, this is all good, we're here, and just shut up there, you know. But he continues, hey, let's set up houses. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. We'll just do this, you know. And so as he's saying that, as they're talking about that in verse thirty-four, it says, "At while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they had entered, as they entered the cloud." Now the same word, this overshadowing, is the same word like Cecily reading this morning that we have with Mary. It says. In, in Luke one thirty five, it says, And the angel answered her, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Same word. This this cloud, overshadowing. When we talked about it with, with Moses, and the cloud was up on the hill, as he's getting the Ten Commandments, and he, in the presence of God, this cloud, this overshadowing. And, and it's interesting because most of the time, um, Jesus has to correct Peter. This time, his dad's going to take care of it, right? like, okay, you're upset that we get it? Well, now this dad's going to get involved this time, right? And so as he's saying this, as these words are coming out of your mouth, and again, I appreciate for him saying this, that we have this account that he does to get it corrected, you know. And a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days, any of the things that they had seen. God really puts out that Jesus is not even close on the same level with these other guys. God just solves that right here. This is my son. This is my beloved son. You know, the the law is good. The law is a good thing. We, we you know... Some people are Jesus only and this and that. No, we read the Old Testament. We love the law because it points to our Lord. It points to our need of a Lord and Savior. It is good. We love the prophets. We love signs and wonders. We love the miraculous things God does. Those things are awesome. But both point to Jesus. Both things point to Jesus. The law is not good if there's no Jesus. If there's no Savior, all it does is condemn us. Signs and wonders of What? They have to have something. You know, celebrating the birth of Christ is great. Knowing the life of Jesus Christ and who he is is better. Why do we celebrate the birth of Christ? Because of who he is and what he did and how he lived. We don't just celebrate because he was born, but no, we celebrate because of how he was born, what God was doing, that amazing miracle, who he was, our Savior who is the Lamb of God, who suffered and sacrificed for us. And so... We see this example. We see God saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And Jesus being found alone and they kept quiet. Generally, you ever been corrected? You know, I would be quiet too. I don't know if I'd talk for a week. Like, God just, the first time I saw God in his glory and he said, shut up, basically. I mean, I want to be quiet. You know, it's a good time to, you know, some really self-introspection and just shutting up. You know, and they're quiet about this. And it's possible God had warned them. He had told them before when Peter said, hey, you are the Messiah. He says, hey, this isn't my time. Don't tell anyone. There could have been that conversation. But in those days, they were quiet. You know, we, we don't have this uh, account in John. He was there. So we have Luke's account, which is, is interviews. And we have Mark's account, which is Mark hanging out and being around Peter and writing all these things down. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting we don't have this account in uh, in John to see his take on it. But at this point, it's there and they were told to say nothing in these days. Because that time had not come. But that time has come for us. We aren't to be silent about these things. And it's interesting to see, you know, you see so many people, when you, you look at believers and you look at well-meaning believers and stuff, and so much, so many times you can get focused on the law. I want to get focused on the law of the New Testament, I want to get focused on, you know, this and that, and the, what the do's and the don'ts and, and these things, that they forget the grace of God and Jesus. They forget why the law exists. The law, we weren't made, as the Old Testament, we were not made for the law, but the law was made for us. It's for our benefit. We weren't made to serve the law. The law is made for us and our benefit. You know, they get focused on signs and wonders and the miraculous things happening. Well, what miraculous things are happening? Why are they happening? Those things happen to draw people to Jesus, the Savior. God wants to be known and many times through signs and wonders and prophecies and those things. But we aren't to focus on the signs and wonders. We are to focus on Jesus. And, and it's easy to get in and, and you start looking at theology and people start questioning questions. I want to know. It's good to know the law. It's good to know the word of God. But to spend all your time arguing over post-trib, mid-trib. The, aren't you missing the point? He's returning. <laughs> That's the point. I mean, you, I, it's amazing, I, and I, I love people, I, I love um, those who do want to study and know those things well, but there's a lot of mysteries in there. I am fine without knowing. You know, I'm fine without knowing. You know, I was, I was talking with a friend, and you talk about, you know, okay, once you saved, all you're saved. Okay, well, how do you know when you were saved and when you weren't saved, and if you're... Again, you're putting God in a box. He's outside of time. He's at the beginning of time. His consciousness is at the beginning and at the end of the world and everywhere between. He doesn't look at a life at one point in time and make a judgment. He looks at your whole life. How do you say, well, you were saved and weren't saved? It's foolishness. It's an argument there's no way we can even understand. And so we look at these things and and to get in there instead of looking at the person, the purpose... You know, we need to look at the purpose. Why? As we go through Scripture and focus on those things, and, and even with Christmas, why? What's the purpose? You know, the purpose is hey, there's good news. This awesome miracle happened. The Savior has come. He was born, and let's give him the last part of the story, too. And He died for your sins and He rose again. Why was it important? Why is Jesus' birth important? Why do we celebrate that? Because we need a Savior. And guess what? He died so we could be saved. You know, it, it's always tempting. I kind of, I feel bad. At, you know, when you consider what to what to teach, you teach just the Christmas story on Sunday. And I do know. A lot of churches do that. I was raised in a church where that that was a thing. And I, I, was praying. I'm going, man, I feel bad for those who only come to church once a year. All they know is, hey, baby Jesus is here, yay! What does that mean? What's the point? You know, I was like, give them the whole story. Give them the end of the story. You know. I guess they come on Easter, they can get the end of the story, right? So they got a couple months of wondering what's going on and then, oh yeah, he died, cool. What happened for the four months between? No. Study the Bible, verse verse all the way through it. And so we look at the person of Jesus, right? He laid aside heaven. He came down lowly. How do you summarize Jesus' life? I was thinking about you know you look at you know if you did a overview on Moses okay his life and Elijah and his life and Jesus and his life. Wow, a loving servant, a servant. He came down lowly and he became the least, washing the feet, washing our feet, coming down and serving us, not a king and a, a coming and reigning. And then how did he die? The situation around his death, horrible, disgraceful, all those things. But more importantly, it was his plan. It was a sacrifice. It was a willing sacrifice. Our Lord and Savior gave up heaven, served us, and then sacrificed for us. You know, when you say, oh yeah, we should be Christ-like. What does that take? Serving and sacrifice and serving other people and sacrificing. You know, this is, is not common in our world these days. and Not common in the church. Not common in people in ministry willing to serve and sacrifice. It's really sad. But Jesus was the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Tim. The sin of us all. The sin of the whole world. You know, I believe when we see in Revelation the two witnesses return, I believe one's definitely Elijah, and I believe the other one's Moses, coming back, and they're going to precede the return of our Savior. And do you think they're coming back after everything they've gone through, the past? Do you think they're coming back bold? I don't think they're going to be distracted by anything. Talk about the boldness those two are going to be coming back with, right? Amazing to See? But at the same time, Jesus is returning. And you need to be remember, we need to remember, Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. We've seen the lamb. The lamb has come. He served. He laid down his life. But he is returning the lion of Judah. He's not coming in lowly in a manger. But when the curtain is felled back, that's going to be heavens opened wide. You talk about an entry, right? an entry that's going to blow the whole world's mind away when the curtains of heaven, when it's all rolled back and he walks through and he enters as a triumphal king, the judge of the living and the dead, the line of Judah. And if he's not truly your savior and your king, that's a day to be feared. you know, we need to be in his kingdom. You're either in his kingdom, that's a joyful day, for those who know Him, those who don't know Him, that's a day to be feared. You know, and and that's one thing the world needs to hear is, hey, the Savior's coming. We see Him as a lion of Judah, or do we see Him as a lamb? Many times we can focus on, oh, Jesus, He's the Lamb, He's our Savior. No, He's also the Judge. He's also the Lion. He's also not going to be politically correct. He doesn't care about somebody's feelings in that sense. He's coming back with truth. There is a time and that, but if you reject him, he's going to judge the world. Those who walk away, and we need to take that serious, the, 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 the judgment that's coming. You who do you say that I am? And I think many times we can come to people and go, yeah, it's good to hear that God loves them. God cares about them. But I come across people that know, you need to know God's going to judge them. You know, I've, I've talked to a couple guys, and, and one minister, he's, he, he does a lot of prison ministry. And he goes, you know, guys come in and go, you know, God loves you even though this and this and this and this. And he goes, that's great. I found it a lot more effective to let him know this jail time ain't nothing yet. If you continue to reject God in your life, he's going to judge you and you're going to wish you were back here. I mean, I'm like, wow. You know, awesome. There was a time there was a great revival, you know. A older gentleman reading a sermon through his glasses on the wrath of God and how we need to repent. It's called the sinner's in the hands of an angry God, and thousands of people repented, not delivered with a great talk, not delivered with anything. It was said he didn't even look up from his paper as he read it. But the truth that needs to be healed, and I think this world has is, is gone to the point where, oh, you can't say that, can't say people are going to be judged or held accountable. No, God's going to hold them accountable. He is returning king. He is the line of Judah. We need to take it seriously. We don't need to play around with God. Oh, God, this sin in my life I'm good with. You know, we we got this agreement. You know, he served and sacrificed so I could sin. No. It's the line of Judah. Greater than the law, greater than prophecy, greater than religion, greater than signs and wonders is our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to Really examine ourselves. Is his mark on our life? You know, one thing I remember, you know, not that I remember a lot of things, but I remember being in in junior high and one of the things was if they came in arresting Christians, would you go to jail? Would you be pointing out, hey, you, we know who you are, we're going to come get you. Why? Because everybody, there's enough evidence, we're putting you away, you know? You know, how many times would you get in that situation? Hey, you're there. Wait, I got a defense person. Yeah, well, he might have been that way at church, but at work, he's a faker. He's not really a Christian. We got to, you know, if you got a crooked lawyer in that situation, would you get off? Because you have enough evidence that you weren't, or you blew it, or were faking it? So that was a challenge to me. Like, would I go to jail? And the thought is, can I do stuff and get away with it? Because if the rapture comes, I don't know if I want to go to jail. If they start arresting Christians, I don't know if I want to go. No, No, I wasn't there yet. But um, many times I think we can deceive ourselves. We can get focused on the law and religion. We're signs and wonders, and we forget who Jesus is and the importance of it and that we're going to be held to account that there is an accounting coming Yes, we're covered by God's grace, but there's an accounting coming. The line of Judah's coming. He's coming in glory with us. It's an awesome thing to see. And just love that. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. It's amazing how much advice we can get, how many different opinions we can get, but make sure you're hearing Him. Make sure in your life, your direction, the way you live, is because you're spending time and you're hearing from Him. That's all we need. Nothing else matters. No matter where you're at, no matter how many things are going on, we can get distracted with. You know, I you know I look at my children and all the things that can distract in the world and things you want to do and all this. We need to make sure we're in the Word. We need to make sure we're hearing from Him. And we're not distracted by other things. That We're not studying the Word to become an expert on the law. We're not studying the Word to make sure we got the next, you know, um, great spiritual gift. I think Tony added a new one this morning, the gift of jingles. I don't know if that's for Caroline or what, but he was talking about it this morning. Um, he's got the jingles. Um, so, anyways, this could be a disease, maybe, but um, I don't know. But you look at that and you go, you know, what, what's important? Make sure we have that first and foremost. This holiday season, as we sit down and we look at Christmas, what's most important? Not the birth, not the circumstances. Is he your savior? Are you mimicking him? Are you sacrificing and serving other people? Do do you hear him? How is he speaking to you? What is he telling you to do? How is he telling us to live? And be in that light. And and I tell you, it's amazing to see. You see God and his glory and and Peter and them are sitting there blown away. Man, you see a Christian who's serving, who loves God, who's full of his Holy Spirit, and people are sitting there staring going, what the heck is wrong with that person? You know, if Jesus didn't die, if he didn't rise again, if he, if he just stayed here, what if he just sat up on the tabernacle with Moses and them? How many people could he save? How many people could go there? The celebrity status, you have to get a ticket, get in line. You might, might what, make it there once in your life if you were lucky to see Jesus? Instead, he lays down his life and he dwells in all of us. What an amazing thing full access to every human being forever, and we have that. You don't have to get in line to go hang out with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? The most amazing person through all of history, and we just got to sit at his feet, and we can hear him, and that counsel can be to us. Hey, listen to him. We don't got to listen to a recording, a video, something somebody passed on. Open the word of God and speak to me, Lord, and he'll speak to us. So as you go out this week and encourage you and, the, and as this new year comes, and even this time, be willing, be bold, be a bold like Elijah, just to call it out. Hey, guess what? There is one true living God. That's wrong. Well, we need to be sensitive. No, we don't. We, there's, there's truth and there's not truth. I'm, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to be bold with what's going on. I'm going to be bold with the truth, because I know who Jesus is. God, there's a situation. I don't want to sit here and I want to have truth and love. God, show me how to have truth and boldness, but yet be loving. And as I go out and I share you, God, fill, let them know. Whatever signs and wonders, whatever it takes for them to know you, that's what I want. If it's a healing or whatever, do it. I just want people to know you, Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you to, that you were just willing to lay aside your glory. That you were able, just laid aside who you were, the rights you had to come and serve and sacrifice for us. Help us never to forget that. Help us to wake up with that on our minds of how much we're loved, the value you hold for us, and that we can just lay our lives at your feet and we can trust you without fear, that we can just listen to you each and every day, and that you are faithful to change us and create in us a new creation, a new heart. In Jesus' name, amen.